0: If you would, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We'll be uh, completing this chapter this week. And um, this has been a discourse of Christ that John has, has kind of turned into. Just a very meaty uh, response of uh, Jesus to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. And there's a lot of meat here, and so we've taken our time to, to go through this passage. I'll begin reading in verse 37. We'll pick up two verses that we read last week, and we'll move to verse 47. John chapter 5, verse 37. And the Lord who sent me, he has testified of me, and you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe Him, whom He sent. You search the Scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that speak, or that testify about Me, and you are unwilling to come to Me, so that you will you may have eternal life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do, have, or do not have the love of God in yourself. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you would receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in, in whom you have set your hope. For if if you do if you believe if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe in uh, believe his writings, how will you believe in my words? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is our privilege to stand here and give out this Word, this powerful Word. And Lord, we recognize that just in preparing our heart that that this is Your Word and, and whatever it says, Lord, we will submit to it because it's Your Word. You are the Creator. You are the authority over our lives and and, Lord, Your Word is, is sp- special. It is precious. It is unique. And, and, Lord, we adhere to it. And so we come today exalting Your Word and dispensing Your Word, putting Your Word before us, and then submitting to Your Word and applying it to our hearts. And, Lord, I pray that that's what would be done today. May I speak with clarity of what You have said here and try to explain this passage, try to get to the intent and the purpose of this passage, to see what you have for us. Lord, we thank you for the consistency of your word. And for the for the purity of your word. It is it has been refined and, and it is it is true and without error. Lord, we thank You for allowing us to depend upon this Word and for having this precious book that we call the Bible. I pray that as we spend time in it today, that it may just flood our hearts and and be an encouragement to us and and just give us a boost of spiritual life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I go to the uh, doctor i I always uh, look around for certificates on the wall. I want to find out where this guy went to school. I want to find out what degrees he has and what his degrees are in. I want to see if he 's qualified to do what he 's going to do to me. Um, I know that one time um, I go in I think this was a dentist 's office maybe a maybe a uh, an eye doctor 's office and uh, and I'm sitting there and I, I don't know this doctor. This is a new one to me and I have the kids with me and we're supposed to get exams and this kind of thing. And I could not find the credentials on the wall. I, I was looking around. I'm thinking, oh my, what have I done? I'm placing my hands in the care of this doctor. I'm not even sure if he's a doctor. And, um, and I w- w- actually was going up to ask because I wanted to make sure, you know, where's his credentials? That's pretty paranoid, isn't it? When you're in that that bad of shape. But I found it. He did have it on the wall and it was just kind of in an obscure place. But he, he puts these things there to show his qualifications. Now, you would think, well, maybe he's just bragging. He's a doctor and... I don't think so. I have the same thing in my, on my wall. I just have a couple of small degrees, not a doctorate or anything like that. But I put them on my wall not to brag, but just to give people a warning, if you want to say, just the, that this guy is qualified to do what he's supposed to do, that he has at least some credentials, and he at least knows what he's talking about. Now, in this passage, that's exactly what Jesus has done. He hasn't given us any more or any less. He's given us exactly what qualifies Him to do what He is doing. And we understand, we remember back that He, was, he healed a man on the Sabbath day, and, and they're bringing this accusation against Him, and He's clarifying for them who He is and what authority He has to do what He does and in doing so, of course, he's going to point out his deity, that he is, that he is God. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's, he's just throwing up his credentials. This is it. This is the bare minimum. And then he, he goes beyond that. Because he's, they're just getting mad. They're, they're, they're already fuming and they're ready to kill him, it says in verse 18. And he doesn't stop. He just keeps pushing. And he brings in some witnesses. John the Baptist. And he brings in his works, his miracles. And then the witness of his Father. And we've looked at those. And he and he throws those up and he says, look at these witnesses. Now, they're already rejecting him. Now he's bringing us today, and with the passage that we're looking at today, he's bringing us the last witness. And it's the Word of God. And he's, he's throwing it up to them and... <clears throat> This should be their strong suit. This should be the thing that they say, Oh, yeah, we get it now. Now you're talking about Scripture. We understand Scripture. Because they had spent much of their time studying Scripture. And that was that was something they knew. And so you would think that, that surely they would get this right. But he already knows. He knows that they will reject him. In fact, one author said... <clears throat> that this is the, the greatest act, the most heinous act of, of uh, apostasy ever recorded in history and that's exactly true because they are looking fully, clearly um, with, with open eyes into the message and into this person of Jesus Christ and they then they turn away from it they see they see clearly, more than anybody else would would be privileged to see who this man was, to, to to look at what he has done and yet walk away. That's apostasy. And then that's exactly what exactly what they that he does. That's exactly what they do. Now here's what I want you to see. Here's the truth of this passage. Here's the point of this passage. The heart that that rejects Jesus, the heart that rejects Jesus is bound by sin. At every level. And what we begin to see here, and we'll look at the qualifications, and what are they? What are the the characteristics? I'm sorry. What are the characteristics of a heart that rejects Christ? What does a heart like that look like? Because that's exactly what's happening here. Now, you, you understand that Jesus has brought these things to bear on the life, and he, then He's brought these witnesses, and they have rejected every witness that He brought. Now, He knows their heart. Remember, one of the sub-themes of the book of John is that Jesus knows the heart of men. Look back in chapter 2. Remember that? Chapter 2 and verse 25. And because He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for He Himself... Knew what was in man. He knows their heart. He knows that they are going to reject him. He knows that it, this is an apostate heart, and so he begins to he begins to expose that heart, kind of like an onion. If you ever taken an onion and just peeled one layer, and you think, well, uh, you know, and then you peel off another layer, and another layer, and another layer, and, another layer and the onion just keeps going. It seems. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's peeling off one layer at a time and exposing this sinful apostate, if you will, heart that rejects Christ. That's what he's doing here. And he's moved to that point. And he's bringing this, this discourse to a climax. That's exactly what he's doing. And he actually gives five accusations. Now, he uses the word you... You, and I understand that, he's pointing at them to the scribes and Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, and he's pointing to them. He's using this word 18 times. He uses the word you in these nine verses. He's wanting them to get the point. And he is accusing them. And there's five accusations that he brings before them. And, and he's already stated in verses 37 and 38 that, that they have rejected him. Uh, it says, um, you, you neither heard His voice, that's, that's God the Father, you, you don't hear His voice, and you don't see His form. You, you won't even recognize God who is there, who is clearly in front of you. It says, you, so you've rejected Him. It says, you do not have His word abiding in you, because you do not believe. They've already rejected Him. You understand that? And He knows that, He knows their heart, and now He's, he's exposing their heart. And that's exactly what needed to be done, especially in front of everybody else that's watching, everybody else that's listening. Because these are the Jewish leaders. If anybody is going to make it to heaven, it's them. They're going to make it. And Jesus is just going to dismantle these people in front of people so that they will be exposed, so that they will ultimately will see they need to turn from their sinfulness. But he's exposing this apostate heart. Now you need to understand it going into this passage. Now let's look at the first point. Number one, here's a description of their apostate heart. The heart that rejects Jesus Christ, the heart that rejects Christ, devises its own religion based upon its own thinking. Look at verse 39. You search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, the key word is, is you think. They're basing this upon their own thinking. Their thinking. Now, they want eternal life. They're trying to get eternal life. But it's going to be based upon their way. And they And actually, they've devised a whole religion. Now, don't miss the point here. People will use this verse to say, See, you shouldn't study the Word of God so much. You shouldn't spend so much time in the Word of God because Jesus is talking about, see, they spent too much time in the Word. He says you search the Scripture and you think that in them you have eternal life. Well, we know that it's not in the Scripture that that gives us eternal life, but Scripture is a means by which God... Uses and exposes our hearts to spiritual things that we can gain eternal life. But eternal life is from Christ. He goes on to say, it is these, it is these scriptures that testify of me. Whole of scripture points to Christ. Now, here's the deal. Here's the difference. There, it's not an either or. It's not a Jesus versus scripture here. It says that if you want to get to Jesus, you need to go to scripture. And scripture explains Jesus. And don't go to scripture and miss Jesus. It's both. It's both. And we don't minimize scripture here. It's just we need scripture. Even and Jesus would be talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written at this time. He says, "You've missed the point. You searched the scripture, but you've missed me. And I am the one found in scripture. And that's the that's the whole point of scripture." That man is in desperate need of a redeemer. And Jesus Christ is that redeemer. They've missed that. In fact, they've concocted their own religion. And and it's not a religion based upon faith anymore, but it's a religion based upon works. And that's exactly what they've done. Based upon their own thinking. Now, how does that happen? Well, man tends to be good at that. And we base a lot of things upon our own thinking we, uh, we tend to just go to extremes. And, and that's kind of what they have done. Now, now remember, we, we were really hard on the Pharisees sometimes. But remember, according to the Mosaic Covenant, if they want the blessing of God on their nation, they better obey the Word of God. They better keep the law. They better obey the law if they want God's blessing upon their nation. And so they're very uh, fastidious about this. You better keep the law. And so they try to keep the law. And the people are trying to keep the law. But they missed the point that they actually can't keep the law. And the whole thing pushes man, the whole Old Testament pushes man to recognize his own sinfulness. And then for man to cry out to God and say, God, help me. We cannot do this on our own. And they've missed it. They thought that they could. They thought that they, based upon their own thinking, based upon their rituals, that they could come up with salvation on their own. Now, here's the thing. We can be hard on them, but we tend to do the same thing. We, we read things in the Scripture that we shouldn't read into Scripture. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 29. <clears throat> Moses gives them a little warning. This verse may uh, help clarify some things. Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. Because this is what man does. Man, mankind do. This is what we do. The, the, the secret things, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. Now let's stop right there. There are certain things that God has not revealed to us that He has just kept secret. And, he, and, he, and we stop right there. Now, what man tends to do is want to know, well, let me see the secret things. I want to know this over here. Well, God just has secret things. He has not revealed them to us. But, he goes on to say, uh, um, but the things revealed, the things that God wants us to know, he reveals to us. He revealed this to Moses. So Moses wrote it down. Listen, the things that revealed belong to us, us corporately, all of us. Mankind in general belongs to us and to our sons forever that we, we may observe all the words of the law. Now here's the deal. There's certain things that God says you don't need to know right now. And, and he gave revelation and a progression here. Um, but there are certain things that he does want man to know, and he revealed them to man, and he had, them, he had men write them down so that they could be passed on to the next generation. What God wants us to know is clearly here in his word. Now, here's what man tends to do, and this is what the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees well, there are certain things that God just doesn't say. So, so we kind of go beyond scripture, and that's exactly what they were doing. And we do that today. We go beyond scripture. We we take things to an extreme and say things that scripture doesn't say. Back in the turn of the century, you had you had liberalism that were reading things in the scriptures that just weren't there, and they come up with some social gospel. And then you have a reaction to that in the uh, in the middle of the century of of uh, this purging from the world and and separating ourselves from the world and. Uh, the churches begin to preach puritism and just coming out from the world and be separate and, and then that turns into to an extreme of, of legalism, doesn't it? And in our day we find ourselves responding to this legalistic mindset. And now the trend is good to go the, the opposite way. And to do absolutely nothing. To have really uh, the um have a pure life, well that's just unheard of. That's just legalistic today. And we tend to go extremes. And every time we do, we come up with this new philosophy, this new, um, this new religion. And that's, that's exactly what they do. That's, that's just what we do. That's what ten, man tends to do. Even when we search the Scripture, we miss the point and we come up with these things on our own. Now, the Bible reminds us, and the verses that are read in Jeremiah 17, says that the heart is wicked. And desperately, um, and deceitful. Who can know it? We really, we really can't know our own. We have to stick with Scripture. That's what we must do. We do not need to, uh, to to pursue the ambiguous parts. We don't need more creative thinkers in theology to come up with with bigger and better theology. It's not a progression here. We understand it. I also must say, though, that knowing the Word does not make you a Christian. Being brought up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian, doesn't save you at all. These people thought they had salvation down. They thought they had it, but it was based upon their own thinking. And that was that was the point. They missed The whole of Christ. They were they were adding a ritualistic um, uh, adding rituals to Scripture that shouldn't be there, and they were taking out faith that should be there, faith in God. And we have to be careful. We have to be very careful. We approach Scripture carefully to not read our thoughts into Scripture. We just need to preach the Word. What does it say? We have to be careful. Look at another characteristic of this uh, apostate heart, this heart that rejects Christ. Number two, the heart that rejects Christ has no desire to submit to Christ, but holds to its own will. We want to hold to our own will. Look at verse 40. It says, uh, And you are unwilling to come to me. So that you will that you may have eternal life, or that you may have life, it was their will. He addresses their thoughts, and now he's addressing their will, their desires, if you will. That's the that's the base of the the root word is their desires. They had no desire to come to Christ. In fact, they were in competition with Christ, and that that points out the very fact that their sinful pride has held their will. In slavery, has gripped their sinful heart, their their will, to the point that sin is in control. Sin is in complete control. They could not, they could not surrender. They would not surrender. They could not because uh, sin had enslaved their will. Now you need to think about that because we often think that our wills are are just uh, you know whatever we want to do. We are in control. We do whatever we want to do, right? No. The Bible says that the heart of a man is like a, a drop of water in the, in the palm of God, in the hand of God. And, and he could turn it, whichever he wishes, whichever way he wishes. Now, if I take a marble and I put it in my hand, and I could turn that, I could have some control over that marble. Well, that marble would say, no, I have control. I want to go down here. Well, why does that marble want to go any place? Because there's a few laws. Number one, the law of gravity. Now I'm in control of that and I can control that gravity and I can hold that marble, but if I drop that marble, that law of gravity is going to take that marble and it's going to go to the floor. But that marble is saying, Oh, I want it to come down here. <laughs> but in reality, in reality, it's it's the gravity that is in control of that marble. And and, and what's going on here is sin is in control of their will. And that's exactly it. And they refuse. They will not. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. Now, I want you to see this. You need to understand that uh, that picture first. Then turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Because I want to build on that. That sin has gripped our hearts to the point that it has affected our will, and we really only, we're doing what we want to do, but our want to, our desires have been affected by sin, and so sin is the one in control. Sin is the one who is enslaving us. But then you say, well, then I'm not responsible. Then I'm not responsible. Look at. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This is Peter's sermon, and he's just laying it right out there. Guys, this Jesus who who did these miracles in front of you Verse 23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Now now that just throws my whole theory. Who's in control? God in control or sin in control? Well, it goes on. He says, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You... Nailed to the cross. And and, and Peter accuses them right out. It's your fault. You did what you wanted to do. And they did. But then when you look back at it, who was in control? God was in control. It was God's preordained, preplanned, plan to, to have Jesus come to this earth and that man was going to put uh, Christ on the cross. It was it was God's predetermined plan that God that Christ would take the sins of mankind would take the sins of those who believe on himself and he would bear that and man had a part of that plan. But man was just doing what he wanted to do. Sin had so gripped his heart that he was just doing what he wanted to do. And their own sinful pride. But at the same time, God was in complete control of the whole situation. Now how does that work? Well, I don't really know. But that's about as far as we can go. But we do know that these men are held accountable for what they did. Just like we will be held accountable for the sins that we commit. We cannot say, well, sin made me do it. Or Satan's influence made me do it. But when sin grips that heart, the will just does what sin wants it to do. And it's it's enslaved to that. We cannot not sin. It's just what we do. And it's only by the grace of God that, that any of us are... Free from sin. Now, let's let's go back to John chapter 5. Verse 40. He says, And you are unwilling. You had no desire. There was nothing within you that would that would bring you to me. There was no in fact it was just the opposite. They hated him. He, they had so much pride. They were in contempt. And, and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. He was their competition in the religious realm. He was stealing all the people. They were coming after him. We can't compete with those miracles. And, uh, and it was all because of they will not. They would not. That's just amazing to me. That someone could look Christ in the face. Someone that could see all of the miracles that He did. Someone that could hear the testimony of John the Baptist. Someone that can had access to, to hear what Christ, what God said about His beloved Son in whom He was well pleased. And yet, turn away? What What is that? That is a picture of the heart being controlled and the will being controlled by sin. By sin. Sin has us in its grip... How do you respond to that? What, what do we do? We must recognize that sinfulness. We, we, we must cry out. We, we recognize we can't do anything about that. I mean, that's, just, that's a God thing. We cry out to God, don't we? We'll come back to that thought in just a minute. Jesus does. Let's go on. Here's the third characteristic of this apostate heart. The heart that rejects Christ does not love God, but has misplaced affections. Now, He's dealt with their thinking. He's dealt with their will. Now, look. He's dealing with their affections. Look at verse 41. I do not receive glory from man. Now, that's that's kind of indication there. and You see what Jesus is doing. He's, he's uh, pitting Himself against them. And, and there's a comparison here. He says, but I... I know you. I know what's in your heart. That you do not have the love of God in yourself. I have have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you would receive him. Listen, it comes down to your whole affections. You do not have God's love in you, and you do not love God. There, there's there's no affections there for Christ at all. In fact, he's, he uses the word uh, agape love. This is a, a love that comes from God. This is an objective love. This is a love of choice, and they do not have it. it. It is not theirs. They have no love for God, no love for God's people, no love for God's word, no love for God's uh, for spiritual things. They just they don't have that. It's not there. God has not worked in that heart. There, there there, was no affections at all. So when the Son of God comes, he's, he's no better than anybody else. He's no different than anybody else. And they just reject Him. But if somebody else came in His own name, boy, they would receive Him. Why? Because He's like them. Now... The uh, historian Josephus tells us that there were many false prophets that came. And he, was, he was writing in the first century um, or second century. And he, uh, and he recorded for us names and, and, and of people that, uh, of Jewish men that would rise up. And they would seem to be the Messiah because they were the ones that were going to conquer the Jews. And they would stir up the people. And the people would go into a revolt against Rome. And eventually, between uh, 66 and 70, 70 A.D., uh, the Romans just came in and just sacked Jerusalem, just destroyed it. And it was because these people were wanting a Messiah like them, wanting a Messiah that would conquer and that would, that would take them uh, and, and conquer Rome and would make them um, in charge of the world, basically. But Jesus was not that kind of Messiah, in fact, he was pitted against them, and let me just let me say this: in um, before Christ comes in his second return, there's going to be a lot of a lot of people. In fact, if you want to turn there, Matthew 24, Christ said that uh, people are going to come in my name, and uh, he says this: he says for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. We'll mislead many. Well, we, we don't seem to have that today. We don't have anybody raising their hand, I'm the Messiah, follow me. But where's our affections? So often, man's affections, they won't submit to God. They won't submit to God, but, but boy, they'll submit to drugs. They'll have an affection and a... And uh, uh, um, an addiction to drugs, they, they have an affection for money, submit themselves to this money lifestyle and the addiction that that causes. And and sex or fame, that's their affections today. They, have, they seem to have no love for God at all. But that's an apostate heart. That's a heart that just rejects Christ. And, and He exposes that heart. He, he tells them what they're like what would you do what would you do if somebody held up a heart a mirror up to your heart and reflects you and you could finally see what your heart looks like what would you do you would hope i would hope that i would say oh that's dirty i want to get rid of that filthiness but they don't they seem to just go on they they don't seem to re- repent they just keep they just keep going let me give you a couple more The heart that rejects Christ, number four, the heart that rejects Christ, seeks the praise of others rather than God. Seeks the praise of others rather than God. Look at verse 44. How can you believe? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? What's Jesus talking about there? They would rather seek the praise of man than... Rather than the praise of God, that's essentially what he's saying. But why would they their whole orientation of life was about the praise of others that's That's where they lived. They lived for the accolades of man. Well, what about God? They really didn't care about God. They had no affections for God. They were serving self and their their own ego. That's exactly what they were doing. Their whole orientation was so focused upon self, and that's, that's what Jesus is doing here, is bringing attention to their focus. Their whole orientation was focused upon self, that they had no room for God. And that's what Jesus throws out that question. It's a rhetorical question. How can you believe? How can you believe when you receive glory from man or from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Your your whole life is so wrapped up in just receiving praise from one another that you don't even care what God thinks. And you're not going to believe? Man, what an accusation. What a terrible thing to say. Why would Jesus be so, so harsh? You know, they wanted a... They wanted a Messiah that would come and, and conquer, but they would not submit to they would not submit to Christ. In fact, they are in contrast to Christ. Um, he, he goes on, and um, uh, I guess I read forty four. That was their whole focus was was uh, that. They were focused on the praise of others and not on the praise of of God. And so they had no, no desire to please God. Now, sometimes I run into Christians that don't even know this concept. They don't even realize that once a person becomes a Christian, his whole orientation, his whole life orientation changes, and he is not concerned about pleasing man anymore, but he's concerned about pleasing his heavenly Father. And they, they had no clue. They, they had no relation. They, they had nothing to relate that to. They were so wrapped up in their own, in their own world, they could see nothing else. And Christ was saying, "You cannot serve um, two masters. You're going to only serve one." And they were not serving God; they were serving self and all that that entails. But let me show you one other thing that they were doing. Turn over to First Timothy chapter one, verse seventeen. First Timothy chapter one. Here's what they were doing, really. Now to the king. This is First Timothy chapter one, verse seventeen. Now to the King eternal, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what they were doing? They were robbing God of His glory. They were giving it to others. They were taking it for themselves. They were they were showing praise for one another. They didn't care really what God thought in God's frame of reference. So again, that sin had blinded them. They could not see. They could not see. They would not see and they could not see. They were doing what comes naturally. They wanted the praise of man. In fact, they wanted it so much that they would reject the praise of God and say, Give me the give me the praise of man any day. Now that's pretty harsh. Jesus is using pretty harsh language here. But again, it's that layer. And and He's getting down to, to really the core. And He's being very harsh. But again, He's wanting to expose their sin so that they will turn from their sin. Let me give you one more and we'll pull things together here. We'll draw things to a conclusion. Number five, the heart that rejects Christ first rejects the truth of God's Word first rejects the truth of god's word in verse 45 he says do not think that i have come to accuse that that i will accuse you before the father the one who accuses you is moses in whom you have set your hope they have set their hope in these in these rules and things that come from the mosaic law and so they think they they have have it right but in reality they don't have it right. They missed the whole point. But they think that's where their, their hope is. That's where their hope is for salvation. But they've missed that. And Jesus said, um, I don't even have to accuse you before my Father. I don't even have to bring these things because Moses himself is going to do that. For if you do not believe Moses, in fact, that's really really what it comes down to. They had rejected Moses the very word that they said yeah we believe this they really don't believe why because because it spoke of him it says if you believe moses you would believe me for he wrote about me but if you do if you do not believe him or believe his writings how can you believe my words What's he talking about? Their discernment. They had no discernment. Their heart was so blinded by sin. Their heart was so, so covered with sin. and so dark that they had no spiritual discernment at all. And that's a sinful heart. And that's the pattern of their life. Was to reject God and to reject um, everything to do with God. But they were holding to God's Word. How can that be? I don't know. But I, I, I think we see it today. We have a pseudo-Christianity today. And people will hold to, to Christ and they'll, they'll talk about Christ. But they have no idea who He was. And they have no idea what He did. They really don't know the Word. In fact, they probably rejected Him. But boy, they hang on to things, these superficial things. This superficial religion that we kind of see today. But the point of Scripture is that man is entirely enslaved to sin in a desperate need of a Redeemer. And, and Scripture is all about that Redeemer. Christ is that Redeemer. How can they miss this? How can they miss this? Well, they missed it because they've, they've already ejected God. They've already ejected all of these things. They've established their own religion. They've already established their own thinking. They're okay. Everything is good. They're unwilling to come to Christ because of their sinfulness. Their their affections was not for God at all. So their focus was wrong. And now Christ is saying, you had no discernment. You missed the whole thing. You missed the point. Do we ever go to Scripture and miss the point? Do we ever read our own thoughts into Scripture? Listen, if there's anything that we get out of this, this is, this is exactly it. And we have to be careful with this word right here. They had Scripture, but they missed it. They missed the whole point of Scripture. What we need today is not more creative theologians... Not more creative pastors, but just pastors who will come and just say, This is the Word of God, and thus saith the Lord. This is it. This is what we build our life upon. The Word. And properly seek to understand what it says. So that we can build our lives and, and raise our children and do uh, our work to, a, to the glory of God. And to, to be about His business. So when we approach this Word, we have to be very careful to approach it with respect, saying, I am subject to misunderstand this Word. Do you ever approach God's Word that way? Or do you just hop right in and just think you know it all? We're subject to misunderstand. So we have to be very careful. And In fact, we use checks and balances. I I talk to other people. Did I get this wrong? Is this what you see? Is this what you see in Scripture? Is that what... I are mean, you seeing the same thing that I'm seeing? We have to be careful. We approach this this word with reverence and respect. We approach it carefully. When we read it, we don't read it haphazardly. There's a point to be made here. In each paragraph, there's a point, and we seek out what does it say? What does it say? So we understand the intention. What did the author intend to say? What did God intend to say? We cannot use Scripture just to prove our own points or to read our thoughts into Scripture. And then when we approach Scripture, we also approach it with the attitude of obedience. Whatever it says, whatever it says, I'm going to obey. If God says that I have a a wicked heart and, and, and I'm tempted like these guys, I want to do something about that. He's exposing the heart here. So what do we do? In fact, by way of just application, what do we do with this? Jesus just exposes their heart. I mean, that's what He's doing here. What can we do? Well, let me just restate this. The heart that rejects Christ is bound up in sin at every level. At every level and in every area. So what do we do? We're helpless, really. The only thing that we can do is cry out to the Lord. We cry out for God's grace, don't we? We cry out for mercy. Lord, I cannot understand this Word. I cannot get this. Lord, help me. Help me in every area. I see my tendency to rely on my own thinking. I, I see my own will being hardened not to submit to Your Word. I see my affections being turned towards something else rather than Your pleasure on my life. I see my whole focus being the praise of others instead of the praise of God and I see myself lacking discernment here sometimes so we just cry out in our sinful state and say Lord help us that was the appropriate response these men they should have rallied and said you're right you're right what can we do how do we get rid of this sinful heart help us not to reject God but they they don't and ultimately they put him to the cross. They nail His hands and His feet to a piece of wood. They kill Him. But the appropriate response is what we should be doing today, is just crying out. Crying out to God in our helpless state when we're exposed to, really, this is the human heart. This is what the heart does. The heart is in bondage to sin. Christ confronts that heart in order and I think he does this it goes right to the heart of these these men that were making the decisions for Israel he goes right to their heart and exposes their heart and and he wants to lead them into repentance but they refuse sin must be repented of I just ask you today if you if you don't know Christ if you don't know who this man is. If, if you recognize yourself in this passage and this heart that has rejected Christ for so many years, I pray that you would, you would turn to Christ. I pray that you would respond appropriately and f- ask for forgiveness of your sins and come to, to God for life and to believe in Him. I pray that you would do so. And as far as us believers, us Christians... We have to remember this could be our heart too. This is our our tendency. We're prone to do this. We're prone to wonder. Our hearts can have these same tendencies here. And it's only by the grace of God that He holds us, isn't it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that You would just grab our hearts, hold on to our hearts. Lord, we know the propensity of our heart is to wonder And to to go off into our own thinking, into our own affections, in our own little world, our own focus, and, and just miss the point. But Lord, we cry out for your grace and your mercy to hang on to us, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the assurance that we have as well. That if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he is the only way for salvation, then we can be saved. Lord, thank you for these precious promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.